Acts chapter 13. Is the darkness making anybody else depressed like it was used to be nice? The sun was shining through here at, during the evening service, blinding the people over here. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Do you ever read your Bible? Well, that's a good question right there. <laughs> wow, I didn't even mean to do that. <clears throat> Do you ever read your Bible and wonder, um, basically, how does this apply to me? You should. Okay, when you're reading your Bible, you should be asking the question, how does this apply to me? How can I apply this to my life? I ask myself this question, how does this apply to me right now in the 21st century? That's what I do. I ask myself that question when I'm studying uh, for a sermon. I want to understand how this applies to us now. I think it's pretty obvious, especially here in the book of Acts, how it applies to first century Christianity. We can see uh, the Holy Spirit working um, in, in amazing ways. We can see um, people being healed, people being set free from prison, all of these different things happening. And we can see uh, God really working and we see tongues and all kinds of different things here in the book of Acts. And I think we all can understand and say, well, yeah, that worked in first century. But how does this apply to me here today, right now in my physical, personal life? Most of us probably don't have actual real giants, like I'm talking about physical giants, standing in front of us every single day, like David, right? And if there is, please just let me know real fast. Anybody? No, we, have, we would say we have spiritual giants that we face every day, but there's, there's not a large man standing in front of us, you know, trying to kill us every single day. We don't have that. So how does that story apply to our lives? We don't uh, actually have a red sea to cross, we don't, we don't actually have water in front of us that we need to get across with an army behind us, again, trying to kill us. Most of us aren't being, into th being thrown into jail for preaching. We're just not. Not yet, anyway. Most of us aren't being released from that prison miraculously, like we saw a couple weeks ago with Peter being released from prison miraculously. So what are we supposed to learn from all of these things? How are we supposed to apply these principles to our lives. What are we, how are we supposed to learn from the Bible? Well, I want to take you to Acts chapter 13, and this is one of those cases where I, studying this, just sat there and scratched my head for a while. God, what do you want us to learn from this? How can we apply this to our lives? And so let's read Acts chapter 13 and look at verse 1. The Bible says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, 
a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the sorcerer, for so his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, this is the first time we see that, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of of all righteousness, Wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. And thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness. And he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw that what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. You look at this passage and you go, okay, how many sorcerers do we have in the world right now? Um, how many people are we saying you're going to be blind to? How, like, you kind of look at this and they sailed from this to there and you know, a few things here and there, but there's what, what can you really gain from this passage? And you might gain something different than I have. But here's what I would like to preach to you today, and it's based upon this whole fact of how does the Bible apply to us today. I want to give you a message that I've entitled, The Relevance of the Holy Spirit. The Relevance of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray, and we'll dive into this. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity of being here tonight. Thank you so much for the message that you've allowed me to uh, bring to these people today, and Father, for the things that you've taught me through it. I pray that you would help me to present it very clearly. Father, that your word would go forth and that people would have ears to hear. And Father, that we would leave here different than when we came. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. We owe all to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. The relevance of the Holy Spirit. Again, there's been times in my life, I think it's getting progressively less now, but there's been times in my life when I'm thinking, what really does the Holy Spirit do in my life? Because we look at first century Christianity, we look at the book of Acts and we go, wow. That's amazing. I mean, these people were speaking in tongues, and these people were healing uh, lame men, and these people were just, uh, I mean, going gangbusters for God, and 3,000 people were saved, and then 5,000 people were saved. Like, the Holy Spirit was working incredibly. Is that actually a real thing? Is that just a story we hear? And sure, okay, let's say it was a real thing. That happened in the first century. Are we seeing that today? Be honest. No. No, we're not. Let's be honest. We're not seeing thousands of people come to the Lord uh, in one preaching service. We're not seeing people miraculously touched and healed uh, on the street. We're not seeing some of these things that these people saw. So what is the relevance of the Holy Spirit in my life? And I want to preach that to you from this passage. I want you to understand this. And you need to know this. Every culture and every person is different. Do you, you, uh, you do understand that, right? Back in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, the culture in Canada was different than it is today, right? Yeah, there were hippies back then. We have some of them still today, but they just forgot, they missed the memo. They were supposed to change. Okay, so it was different. And this 10-year block is going to be different than the next 10 years. And, and, and we are for sure different than first century Christianity. We are for sure different. I mean, people, 
Stephen was stoned to death. When's the last time in North American culture that you saw somebody stoned to death? Now understand, Middle East is way different culture than here. People are dying for their faith over there. So understand that. Every culture and every person is different. There is no one specific way that the Holy Spirit will always work. Understand that. I hunt. I deer hunt. And I've shot a few deer in my life. And I'll sit in the same spot. And you know what? It's funny. Nothing ever happens the same way twice. It's always different. It, we always, the deer always comes from a different direction. It never does the exact same thing. Just when you've hunted there for 10 years and you think, nothing could ever surprise me, something surprises you. And the Holy Spirit does the same thing. He never does anything the exact same way. Look through the Bible. Rarely do you ever see a story end up the exact same way all the way through the process. Things are different. God always gets the glory. Understand that. But the means to that end is always different. He doesn't always break people out of jail. Doesn't always. There's other times in the Bible where Peter doesn't get out of jail. There's other times in the Bible where Paul does get out of jail and then doesn't get out of jail. And this, that, and the other thing. There's all kinds of different things. I mean, John, we see him on the Isle of Patmos. God doesn't work the same way there. He doesn't just take him off the island. In fact, he gives him the book of Revelation. You see, so the Holy Spirit doesn't always break people out of jail. He doesn't always heal everyone. He doesn't always produce thousands of souls getting saved. He doesn't always perform visible, visible miracles. Can he? Yes. And you must believe that. You must believe that God can do anything, but he always, doesn't always work the exact same way. I want you to write this down and think about this. The Holy Spirit works by applying truth to the current circumstance. Think about that. The Holy Spirit works by applying truth to the current circumstance. John chapter 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit will what? Guide us into all truth. Now we understand that truth doesn't change. We talked about a little bit about that this morning. Truth doesn't change. But how that truth looks changes over time. And so we have to judge those things. We would say as, as ministers that people have a lot more baggage today than they did 50 or 60 years ago. Listen, truth didn't change, but how the truth is applied changes. So the Holy Spirit works by applying truth to the current circumstance. So important. So how is the Holy Spirit then relevant to my life? How does he apply truth to my current circumstance, where I sit in the pew, where my life is right now? How does he do that? Well, the first thing that I want you to see is he calls people. He calls people. You say, well, Pastor Yeomans, okay, that's great. I understand that. I've always understood that. Did you? Because I think sometimes we get this <clears throat> calloused mentality. Does God still call people? Well, that's pretty weak. Does God still call people? You see, the funny thing is, a lot of times we, th we say yes, but we're often looking around going, where are the people that God's calling? Where, where are the people that God wants to use to minister? Let's look at verse 1 to 4 again. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. Did you notice the names? 
Who's the first name? Barnabas. Interesting. He, Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. He'd been raised with Herod the Tetrarch, which was the king that was trying to kill everybody. And there's Saul as well. So they're in this group of prophets and teachers. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. They're being called. So they being sent forth by who? The Holy Ghost. Departed unto Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. He called them. He called them very specifically. Notice with me at the end of verse 2. What does he call them to? Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Does anybody find that a little bit too vague for you? All of us like to know the specifics of what God's will is, right? God, just show me what you're going to do. I mean, when I was a teenager, I'm like, God, I want a step-by-step plan as to what you're going to do with my life. That's not how God works. Look at that verse again. It says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. It's so vague. But understand this, there is still a work to be done. I'm going to have to wake you guys up tonight. Guys, God still calls people because there is still a work to be done. There is. There absolutely 100% is. In fact, probably more so now than there ever has been on the history of planet Earth. Don't believe me? Let's go. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Listen, our works are to be seen not just for other people, but just to glorify God. Our goal in this life is to only glorify God in everything we do. If people get saved on top of that, that's icing on the cake. The key here is that we need to do good works. There's a work that needs to be done. John 14 and verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I, shall, that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. Hear it again. He that believeth on me shall do greater works. Understand that spans all time. Did you believe on Jesus Christ? I did. That means we're, doing, we're to do greater works than what Jesus did. Man, Jesus did all kinds of things in three and a half years. All kinds of things. I mean, he was healing blind people. There's all kinds of things, and we're to do greater works than that? Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Listen, there's a work to be done. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. God has a job for you to do. James chapter 2 and verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone 
Listen, there is a work to do. There is something to be done, and God needs people to do so. He needs us. He called us to do something in his will. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37 and 38. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, not that he would bring up the harvest, but that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Let me ask you a question. Is there still a harvest? There is. There is still, until Jesus Christ comes back and calls us home, there is a harvest. God calls people because there is a work to be done. I want you to think back, Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5. Pastor McLean preached on it just a little bit. Talked about the maniac of Gadara. The maniac of Gadara was crazy man, cut himself and screamed all the time, ran around naked and all of these different things. And he did this because he was possessed with a demon. Multiple thousands of demons. Jesus comes and heals him. Do you understand that after that story is one of the most important parts of the story? Because the maniac comes to Jesus and says, basically this, suffer me to go with you. Let me come with you. I want to be with you. I want to spend my time with you. You know what Jesus says? No. You go back and tell all your friends and your family what I have done for you. And that city was Decapolis. Pastor McLean mentioned very clearly that those people came out and told Jesus, depart out of our coast. We don't want you anywhere near us. You, you've got something that we don't want right now. The next time you see Decapolis, I believe it's Mark chapter 12, but don't quote me on that. The next time you see Decapolis, you know what they're doing? They're running to Jesus saying, would you please help us? Basically, what I want to get to you is the maniac of Gadara did his job. There was a work to be done. The capitalist needed to know that Jesus Christ healed him, that Jesus Christ saved him from Satan. Listen, there is a work to be done. God still calls people. So how is the Holy Spirit relevant to me? Can you ask yourself this question? Is he calling me? Is he calling me? Well, let's ask this question. How does he call people? Well, let's look at the verse. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, watch this, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. So understand, all of these men are together, the leaders and prophets and teachers here. They're all together. And the Holy Ghost comes to them and says, separate me Barnabas and Saul. So what I want you to understand here this evening in this point is he makes it clear to the leaders. He makes it clear to the leaders. The Holy Spirit makes it very clear to the leaders of the church in this particular instance that God is calling someone to do something. That's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Listen, if, if you are feeling called of God and myself, Pastor Holland, or some wise person says, I just don't think you're ready, maybe take heed to that. Be very careful of going against wise counsel. I'm not trying to say you should do everything I tell you to do. Please don't think that. 
But if you find a multitude of counselors and they tell you to do something, make sure you take wise counsel. So he comes to the leaders and the Holy Spirit tells the leaders. But number two, he makes it very clear to the individuals. Look at verse 4. It says this. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. They being Barnabas and Paul. Hey, they were sent. They knew it. Listen to me. You need to know that you're called of God. You need to know that God has something for you to do. You need to be assured of it. Don't do anything just because the leaders tell you to do something. This has to be a mutual understanding of the Holy Ghost is working on me. Do you know why that's the truth? Listen, if somebody told me to be the pastor of Bible Baptist Church and they just told me to do it, how long do you think I'd stay here? Not very long. You people are crazy. Bruce Smithlin says all the time, you either have to be called of God or crazy or both to be a pastor. And in my case, it's both. Listen to me. You don't do this kind of work for no reason just because somebody tells you to do it. You have to be called of God. I've told people, listen, don't do that unless it's your calling of God upon your life. Financially, you don't want to be that. You don't want to do that financially. That'll strap you like crazy, but if God is calling you to do it, then do it. Listen, it's got to be the call of God. Listen, God is still calling people. Ask yourself this question, is he calling me? Is he calling me? They're not here tonight, so I'm going to use them as an example. Admire and Sandra, they came to me and they said, God is really working on our hearts. And already, I'm, I'm just being honest with you, I could see God doing something in their life. I didn't know what. And it was obvious. It was plain as day. And they told me, and we began to pray about it, and we began to think about it, and we began to, they began to put things obviously in motion in their house cells. And all of these different things just fall into place. Listen, God spoke to them and said, this is what, something that I want you to do. Now, I have no idea what God will do with them from here on out. I don't know if they'll fail. I have no idea. But I am convinced that the Holy Spirit called them. I'm convinced of it. Listen, is God calling you? Is God calling you? Because that's relevant to us today. He still calls people. Number two, he equips people. He equip if he's going to call them, he's going to equip them. Let's jump down uh, to verse 5. We'll, we'll kind of burn through this real fast. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the aisle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. What a wonderful name. Which was by the deputy of the country, Ser Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimaeus, the sorcerer, for so was his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. I love this. Watch this. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. Look what he does. And said, O full of subtlety on all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. And thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness. And he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Now understand, we probably, we may, I'm not going to say we won't, but we probably won't see this in our lifetime. 
where John Yeomans walks up to somebody and says, hey, buddy, you're going to be blind because of what you're doing. It may happen. But the, diff- the thing is, the Holy Spirit works differently in all kinds of different ways. He equips Paul here. He gives him the power that he needs. We need to be careful in saying that if you are full of the Holy Ghost, you can go around telling people that they're going to be blind, and it happens. We need to be careful in saying that if you are full of the Holy Ghost, you can go around telling people to be healed, and they will be healed. We need to be very careful of that. Certainly, God the Holy Ghost has the power to do so. We under- I hope you understand. He absolutely has the power to do so. But he doesn't always work the same way. You see, notice this particular instance. God had specifically and purposefully equipped Paul with that power in that moment for a specific reason. There was a man, a sorcerer by the name of Bar-Jesus. And there was somebody there that wanted to know more about Christ And Bar-Jesus was trying to get that person to pull away from that, not wanting him to accept Jesus Christ. And God gave and equipped Paul right then and there with the power to to make this man blind. You know what the, see the reason. Verse 12, then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed. Do you see that? All of this was done so that the deputy, Sergius Paulus, would believe. Listen, God equips you for every circumstance. How did he how does he equip us? Well, we can see Paul has boldness. Listen, how many people would <clears throat> here tonight would go up to somebody, put your finger in their face and say, "How long are you going to do this to God?" Probably not very many of us, right? How long are you going to uh, put, put yourself before God? And how long are you going to do this and stand in front of God? And how are you going to do this and, and say you're going to be blind? Not many of us would do that. But Paul had the boldness to do that. Paul had the boldness to do that. Not only did he have boldness, but he gave him the words to say. He gave him the words to say. Listen, he was very eloquent here. Then he even comes out with, hey, you're going to be blind. And that specific thing happens. And then the Holy Spirit will give us the specific set of tools for that particular circumstance. He always will. He will always equip us with the specific set of tools. I do a a little bit of work with tools. I mean, very, very small amount. And it is so much nicer when you have the right tools. I changed the brakes, the back brakes. There were drum brakes. I'd never done drum brakes at this time. So I YouTubed it, right? That's what every good mechanic does, right? Right, guys? <laughs> I YouTubed it, and this guy comes on, and he says, first thing, you're going to need this tool, and this tool, and this tool, and this tool. Like four different spring tools that I don't have. And I look down, and I go, I have a screwdriver and a pair of pliers. This might work. And so I go out there, and I, I changed my brakes. I did it. But that guy made it look so much easier than I, it came out for me because he had the right tools. Listen, how, does God, how is the Holy Spirit relevant to us today? He's going to give you boldness when you need it. 
When you need to stand up for Christ and you need to talk to your neighbor about Christ or you need to do the right thing in front of everybody or you need to stand up for your family or whatever the case might be, God will give you boldness. Whom he calls, he will equip. He will give you the words to say. Oh, man, I don't find myself as a great orator. But I pray and ask God every time I get up here to preach to give me the words to say. And there have been times where afterwards, I don't say the right words. But I feel like the whole time God has given me the opportunity to stand up here and speak, he gives me the words to say. You may disagree, but God will give you the words to say. He'll give you the words to say to your coworker. He'll give you the words to say to your neighbor who's going through a difficult time. He'll give you the words to say when you just don't know what to say. He'll give you the words to say. He will equip you. This is all wonderful and great, and I hope you understand that this is the relevance of the Holy Ghost. This is how he can work in us today. But let's ask this question. When? When is the Holy Spirit going to work? When is the Holy Spirit going to work in my life? When is he going to be real to me? I mean, because still, you say all these things, and oh, it's futuristic. He will give you the boldness, and he will give you the words to say, and he will give you the tools. But when, how is this all going to work? I want you to pay attention to this part. If you've lost me so far, wake back up, and let's look at this. Understand this. The Holy Spirit will be relevant in your life when you place him as the priority. Think about that. The Holy Spirit will be relevant or real in your life when you place him as the priority. So often, we don't understand the Holy Spirit because we don't know him. We don't see him at work in our lives because we don't have any purpose for him. Let's, let's go through this just a little bit. When will we see the Holy Ghost? Number one, I want you to see fasting. Fasting. Let's look at the verse here in verse 2. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Look at verse 3. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Two times in this passage we see fasting. Fasting is not something I get excited about. Fasting is not something that we hear a lot about today. Fasting means to abstain from food. Just don't eat. I believe fasting can be used in other ways as well. Some people I know fast from electronics. Probably not a bad idea. There's all kinds of different things you could fast from, but in this particular instance it means abstaining from from food. You say, well, how does me not eating food make the Holy Spirit a priority? How does this make the Holy Spirit more relevant to me? Understand this. When you fast with the intention of making God more of a priority, you are revealing your fleshly weakness. Maybe I should say that again. When you fast with the intention of making God more of a priority, you are revealing your fleshly weakness. And you know what else you're doing? 
begging God for his strength. Listen, all of us have, every one of us, I, I would assume, has gone without a meal at one time or another. Mine, mostly because I'm busy. I said, I'll call Beth and I'll say, hey, I'm not coming home for lunch today. Got a bunch of things I got to do. That doesn't automatically make me more godly. It actually makes me really hungry and really cranky. So that just fasting is not the point. When you fast with the intention, notice this, with the intention of getting closer to God and with the intention of making God a priority, what you are doing is saying, God, I understand my weakness. And I understand that I need your strength. You understand this, that without food, just simple food, there are people that, as I said before, get hangry. They lose control. There are people that get the shakes. There are people that get nauseated or get a headache or all of these different things just because they go without food. Now to me that is such a small and insignificant thing, but yet it's so necessary to our lives. And when you fast without food, you say, listen, it's not about my strength because I am weak. But it's about your strength. I want to do what you want me to do. Without fuel, our bodies run out of energy. We are weak. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, Paul, speaking about his thorn in the flesh, he said this. He said unto me, God, my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul says, for, or excuse me, God says, for my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Let's do it again. Let's fast again. Let's go without food again. I take pleasure in it, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, that is so important. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, fasting, no in and of itself is not that big of a deal. But when you have the priority and the goal of knowing and making the Holy Spirit and God a priority, it changes things. The Holy Spirit becomes far more relevant when we are emptied of ourselves. Think about that. The Holy Spirit becomes far more relevant when we are emptied of ourselves. You see, the flesh and the spirit, they're at enmity with one another. So you can't have both. You can't have the flesh working its, its way and then the spirit working its way. You can't serve God and mammon. You will either hate the one and love the other. We said that this morning. All of these things are so important. When we empty ourselves and say, I do not have the power, and I will not have the power, the Holy Spirit becomes a lot more real, a lot more relevant to our current situation. Why? Because we are no longer looking at ourselves and our wants and our needs. We are looking at him to supply our every need. David said, 
I don't want food. I desire your word more necessary than my daily bread. See, that's a different priority. You want to know when the Holy Spirit will work? When you make him a priority. When you put aside your fleshly desires and say, I'm going to start fulfilling my spirit, my Holy Spirit. And I'm going to start fulfilling what he wants me to do. Which brings me to the second point, and that's serving. Serving. Look at verse 2. And as they, what's the next word? Third word. Ministered. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. You can see all the way through from verse 5 to verse 13, you see them ministering, serving the Lord. Paul and Barnabas are obviously busy serving the Lord. They are doing something. Their priority, again, was not serving themselves. It was serving God. They didn't serve themselves. In fact, if you look at Paul's life, you never see him serving himself. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, but I found in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And at that point, he's talking to the, the, the Philippians, talking to them about the, how wonderful a church they have been and how they've given to him. Listen, it's nothing to do with his wants. Verse 2 is very specific. They were ministering to the Lord. Again, this is so important. When you put God as a priority and you serve him in any way that you can, he will become far more relevant to you because you're not concerned with yourself, you're concerned with him. Listen to me. When I'm looking at myself, I'm the only one who's relevant. Right now, I'm hot. I am warm. But you know what? There's people in this room that are cold. And if I look at you, I go, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. I can put up with a little heat. You see the difference? Oh, you know what? I have a ton of food here. Maybe I could take some down to the soup kitchen. You see, when we get our eyes off of ourselves, we begin to see something else as relevant. Man, look at all the problems I have. Look at all the things that are wrong with my life. Look at all the problems that, that, that are going on in my life. Look at the struggles that I am going through. And we begin to look at ourselves and look at ourselves. And you know what? We become relevant. I guarantee you start looking at God. Start serving him. Start giving your life to him. Start focusing on him. He will become more real to you. Psalm chapter 37 Verse 4 and 5, a very famous passage. The Bible says this, Delight thyself also in the Lord. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You see, the problem is this. The problem is not that the Holy Spirit is not working today. Do you all understand that? Let's stop there just for a second. The problem is not that the Holy Spirit is not working today. The problem is we aren't listening. 
we aren't engaged in him. We aren't thinking about him. We aren't looking for him. We're too wrapped up in doing the things that we want to do. We're too wrapped up in doing and fulfilling our desires. So how is the Holy Spirit relevant? You'll never know. You really will never know until you start putting yourself out there and you start doing the work. The relevance of the Holy Ghost depends on your priority of him. I hope you understand this. The need is not going away. The need for people to be spirit-filled Christians is not going away. The need for the world to be saved is not going away. Every single one of us needs to be praying the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And I understand that. But how many of you are willing to say, here am I, Lord. Send me. It's so easy to just get comfortable and get, even as we talked about this morning, into the land that flows with milk and honey and be, as the Bible calls, waxen fat. We just begin to take in and take in and take on all the blessings. But how many of you would say, I need the, the harvest is plenteous and I am willing to go. I believe that until that surrender happens in which we put our flesh aside, the Holy Spirit will never be relevant to us. The Holy Spirit will not work mightily in us because he's constantly contending with our flesh. Will you surrender to what God has for you? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day.